Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are reviewing Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher and William Urey, Negotiating an Agreement Without Giving In. Mate, it's a good book and uh, it's all about negotiation. We'll get stuck in in a sec. Uh, I was at the Crab Lab, free comedy session on Wednesday night, carrying the Getting to Yes and reading and a girl came up and said, oh, why are you reading that? She read it. As well, it was a good book. Mate, did you have a barista story from this morning? <laughs> yeah, this morning I was uh, reading this book in the barista. He goes, oh, what's that you know, in hand? And he picked it up and he goes, oh, international bestseller. And he's like, what, what makes an international bestseller? Every fucking book's an international bestseller. <laughs> but I think, he's, I think he's kind of got a point. There's a lot of international bestsellers out there. Um, there I don't know what the criteria is, but it seems like every book is. But- Mate, I'm going to say this is um, a more legit one because it's, it's an old book. Uh, so I reckon that's, that holds more, more credence because it's old. Uh, these, these guys have been working together since 1977, the book says, and they've been writing a lot of uh, negotiation books. I see, where, a winner. Well, I see where you're coming from because it's that old. It's got so, it must be good if it's been perennial to last this age and if it's still applicable today, which it definitely is. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck in here. We should get stuck in. There was a long intro, but let's, say, let's go into the intro. Negotiation is a fact of life. Everybody negotiates something every day. It might be discussing a raise with your boss. It might be lawyers settling a lawsuit. It might be negotiating with a stranger to find an agreeable price for a house, or it might be just discussing with your husband or wife where to go for dinner or what movie to watch. So the definition is, negotiation is a basic means of getting what you want from others. It is a back and forth communication designed to reach an agreement when you and the other side have interests that are shared and others that are opposed. Yeah. So negotiation, like every negotiation is, is different. But there's principles, they say, within every negotiation which are the same, which is exactly what this book is about. And the first type of negotiation they talk about is the wrong type, but it's the type that everybody uses, and they call it positional bargaining. And that's where you take a position, the other side takes a position, you hold firm, and then try to find some kind of middle ground where everybody compromises to somewhere in the middle. So each side, in this case, takes a position and argues for it and makes concessions to reach a compromise. So you know, you're going for a negotiation... For a 10 grand pay rise, you speak with the boss and then all of a sudden you negotiate and you take positions and you um, compromise to be, you know, maybe a five grand pay rise or something like that. From a high ground academic perspective, the ideal negotiation should be something that produces a wise agreement for all parties. It should be efficient in terms of time and cost and it should improve or at least not damage the relationship. And that's like the academic criteria and the traditional positional bargaining that everybody uses violates all three of those. So the first one is that they arguing over positions produces unwise outcomes. So because you pick a position, you pretty much tend to lock yourself into that position, even though it might not be ideal for you. By arguing for it, you hold firm in that position. Yeah, exactly. You solidify it. So by defending against attack, um, it comes up in a lot of books, right? Like we, we don't want to look like idiots. So we really solidify our ground based on whatever position and we try and convince the other side of the impossibility of changing your opening position because you're so hard and firm and strong on what your ideas are. Yeah, even if your first position that you take, you might only be 60% strong in that position, but the more you fight, the stronger you get on it, even though you should probably compromise on a few things. A couple of real-world examples. In 1961, um, JFK was negotiating with the Russians to try and stop nuclear testing around the world. And because this negotiation fell through, it led to three decades of the Cold War arms race. So the reason it fell apart was the US wanted to do 10 inspections per year, uh, inspections in air quotes, uh, on the, and the USSR said, no, you can't do more than three inspections. And because they were so far apart, talks broke down, 
USSR didn't want to do more than three. US didn't want to do any less than 10. But the issue was they didn't even say, what is an inspection? Is an inspection one dude in a lab coat who goes in for a day and has a bit of a look around? Or is an inspection 100 people that go to Russia for a month and comb over the whole country? And they didn't even define what the inspection was. All they did was they got stuck in the weeds of fighting 10 versus 3, and it fell apart and led to three decades of the Cold War. So arguing over positions is inefficient. It takes up a lot of time because uh, everyone's so rigid. And it leads to dragging your feet, stonewalling, threatening to walk out, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, plenty of wasteful tactics involved in that style. And the other thing that is an issue with positional bargaining is that it becomes a contest of will and it can damage your relationship because ultimately the strongest will wins. You pick a position, the other person picks a position. Whoever's the weaker backs out and then the loser is going to be bitter forever after that. So it's going to kill your relationships as well. So this has all been a big setup. So positional bargaining is, is bad. And this a is big no. It's a big no. And what the solution he provides or they provide in this book is principled negotiation, which is the, the, the grand papa daddy of the alternative. Yeah. And the four key components of principled negotiation is people. So you need to separate the people from the problem. Interests. So focus on interests, not positions. Options. Inventing multiple options looking for mutual gain. And then criteria. Insisting that you base this on objective criteria. And that's what the next four chapters are about, one each. And that's, this is the method of principled negotiation. Let's get stuck in. This is the method. So, number one, what we need to do is first separate the people from the positions. Now, egos tend to become involved in substantive uh, positions and the relationships tend to be entangled with the problem, right? So, we need to separate people's position and don't make it personal. Separate the person from the problem. So, we're just dealing with people at the end of the day. That's a whole thing. Every negotiation is people and personal relationships. So, we need to remove the person from their ideas and this chapter is all about what we can do to best focus on the person and make it a, a, a strong personal you know interpersonal relationship here before we get into the the deep dive of uh, the negotiation so the big one here we need to do is we really need to see the position as the other oh, we really need to see the situation exactly how the other side sees it and they say this is the most important skill that a negotiator can possess and it's not just enough to know intellectually what they're thinking. You've got to really understand empathetically exactly how they're feeling about the problem and really deep, deeply understand what they're, what they're looking for. It's important to note that by understanding their point of view doesn't mean you're agreeing with their point of view. But if you don't truly understand their intellectual ideas plus their emotion behind their ideas, you're never going to be able to negotiate effectively. So you need to... Be, be empathetic. You need to get in their shoes and truly understand what are they talking about and why, and then you can actually start negotiating properly where you can form some win-wins. So you need to really communicate loudly and convincingly that you really understand it. So if they, it's like our, our seven, habits of un, uh, seven habits of highly effective people. Seek first to understand, then be understood. So really let them know that you understand them, and then they might looking, uh, start looking to understand your position also. Definitely. A few other ideas that they, they say about the people side of things is you need to give the other side a stake in the outcome and, and get them to participate in the process. So by working together to come to a solution, if everybody works together, they feel a part of it, they're going to be more on board with the eventual outcome. So if you're a part of the process, then you're going to agree with the outcome. If you're not a part of the process and you're just given here's the answer, you're going to almost all the time instinctively defend and say no 
Whereas if you're a part of it, you're much more likely to say yes. Mm. So, you know, both parties need to have complete ownership of the ideas. You can't just clean the floor of the other person and make them feel like they're an idiot. You know, they've come in with uh, some kind of principles, what they believe. They need to feel like they've at least gone in what they've, they've gotten. Their ego saves face a little bit. And, you know, if you think back to that, USA and, and China idea that you had from back in the day, probably similar today with the trade wars that are going on. I can imagine with the huge egos involved with uh, China and the USA, if someone wipes the floor with the other person behind closed doors, then they're not going to get an agreement. Mm. Both countries need to save face, uh, looking like they've actually st- stuck to their national values and so forth. Another big one about communication, as you say, big one is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Uh, another bunch of problems with communication in a negotiation is you might be either not talking to each other effectively or you might be talking effectively but the other person might not be hearing you or even if they do hear you they might misunderstand so there's some key things that they suggest we need to do here in our communication so listen actively and acknowledge what there's uh, being said Uh, speak about yourself not about them so in terms of that never condemn the other side for their thoughts and feelings or just frame it like from your perspective, I feel let down, um, not that you broke your word and yeah. attacking them. So always position those types of ideas as what you're feeling, not what they did and why they're so bad. Just say, this is how you made me feel. And another one is like, if you show that you're actually understanding them by rephrasing and making sure that you really know what they're saying, not misinterpreting what they're saying, and then you can clarify what they're actually saying first before you get, get stuck in. So that's step one, man. Separate the people from the positions. So the positions is not entangled with the person's ego and so forth. I think it's important to focus on on that people side of things first. Make sure communication is effective and make sure you're treating the other person as a person, as a part, part of the process, not as your competitor. The next step in this whole process is to focus on interests and not positions. Yeah, this is, this is key. And this is where it really differs from the, the old school positional bargaining. And a good story to kick it off is there was two kids fighting over an orange. And one kid wanted the orange, the other kid wanted the orange. What they did eventually was they cut it in half and both kids got half an orange. The first kid ate the fruit and threw away the skin. And then the second kid used the skin to make a cake and threw away the fruit. So both of them only got half of what they wanted. But if they actually focus on the interest, so the interest of one was saying, I want to eat the fruit. The interest of the other was saying, I I want the skin to bake a cake. They could have both had 100% of what they wanted. So looking beyond the position of, I want this orange, look to why do they want that orange. So the position in this case would be that, yeah, as you said, one, uh, they want half. They all Mm. both want half. But one step below that is the interest, I want to bake a cake. And then the other part is, oh, I want to eat the orange. So yeah. getting to the depth of interest, uh, you can both get a much better solution than the 50-50 cut. So what we need to do now is, you know, earlier we've done some empathetic listening. We need to really list out their interests. What are their actual interests and, and think about how we can satisfy them. It's important to put that on the table rather than just saying, this is my position, this is what I want. You need to ask why, essentially. Go deeper and find the interests behind that. Because whilst you not, might not be able to fulfill their position as they state it, you might be able to fill 90% of their interests behind the position. So you might actually want to just even brainstorm you know, a list of their interests and a list of yours so you're not just stuck on the same uh, two positions. And that's a perfect segue into the third step, which is inventing options for mutual gain. So rather than viewing this as a fixed pie and everybody's got their own positions and you're deciding how to cut it, you want to grow the pie first and try to come up with some new different creative 
imaginative ideas where both parties can satisfy more of their interests. So here's the big one. Most people see the role of negotiation as narrowing the gap between mm. two opposing positions. So let's just think of, you know, I want a five grand pay rise um, and you find it's one point in between that what yep. you are now and what you want rather than broadening the potential options available. So you need to really brainstorm a whole list of other stuff that is aligned with your interests and aligned with their interests and then you can, you know, the pie can just grow bigger for everyone. Definitely. And what they say is like you, you want to brainstorm these ideas and you need to separate the inventing process from the deciding process because nothing kills creativity and imagine, imagination more than judgment. So you, you want to just get together and throw out a whole bunch of ideas first rather than saying this is a good idea or this is a bad idea. Just get a shitload of ideas out there and after the idea process, then you can go into deciding which ones are best. So you might think like chess is a zero-sum game, right? Someone wins, someone loses net zero yeah but what happens if the dog comes in halfway through the the corridor jumps on the chess table blows all the pieces apart there's no winner and knocks the beer on the carpet and reality this is an option that can happen (laughs) everybody's worse off (laughs) exactly (laughs) so you shouldn't be so like the analogy they say you shouldn't just view it as a fixed pie where somebody wins somebody loses it's not zero sum you need to realize that there always is a chance that both people could be worse off but there's also the option for both people to be better off so you want to grow that pie you want to add in different options so now we've invented a whole lot of options for mutual gain right so you've got the things on your side and the things on on uh their side as well so you got to go through the list now and think what can you invent that might be attractive for them and serves their interests but at the same time is very low cost for you i think that's a bloody good line they've got that's in there. The, that's the key man one uh, example, a real-world example, but we sort of made up. Say someone wants to, they want a 5K pay rise. And the old-school position would be, okay, I want a 5K pay rise. The boss says, no, you get zero. You eventually get a 2K pay rise. That would be the old-school. But the 5K pay rise, if you look beyond that, the interest behind that might be, I'm working a second job where I work one day on the weekend and it gives me an extra 5K a year. If I got a 5K pay rise, I wouldn't have to do that so I could spend more time with my kids. So that's the interest behind that. And the boss could say, okay, rather than giving you a 5K pay rise, how about one day a week, you work from home, you can drop your kids at school, you can pick them up from school, you can play with them after school. And so that means that rather than getting the pay rise of that hard position, they found that, okay, we all win. I get the same amount of work, you get the same amount of money, but you get that extra freedom of that one day a week. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Well well done, mate. I really that's like it, that mate. story. I'm just inventing some um, new options for mutual gain. <laughs> Love it. So the next one, all right? So that's uh, that's number three. Number four is insist on using objective criteria. Another good one. Yeah. So rather than just saying, okay, this is okay, I want to sell my house for four hundred fifty thousand dollars, then you think, okay, what's the objective criteria? What's the theory or the formula used to come to that thing? So not just a subjective. This is what I think it's worth. Try and find some objective measure. And it applies to all different types of negotiation. There's always some, some way you can use an objective criteria. So no, negati- no negotiation is likely to be efficient if you put your uh, will against theirs. You need to find something really objective and independent, uh, you know, not part of both of, your in- both of your clashes of wills there. And, you know, you just use the example of, of uh, a house. So say if you're negotiating a house price, you might look at, you know, what are the, the prices of the houses selling in our area and neighborhood and use that as the objective criteria Mm. and bring that to the negotiation. Yeah, so there's plenty of, they say there's either fair standard or fair process. So a fair standard might be looking at market value or looking at precedent, what's happened in the past or 
looking at professional standards, like it might be building codes or it might be the law or it might be science or it could be moral standards. So using any of these as objective criteria to find a, a fair standard that you can both agree on. So it's, it's sort of like the, the high ground maneuver from Win Bigley. You're not fighting in the weeds. You're getting to the high ground and saying, okay, what can we agree on is, is a fair way to approach this? Mm-hmm. Uh, another one, you know, so for example, if say for back to the story of you getting getting your pay rise, you might rather than negotiate there, you might look around and see what other people are paying for similar roles in similar mm. professions uh, in your industry, and find some, um, you know, something online or something and bring that into the negotiation. One part I love about all this, which is in, in the book, so it's a bit of Adam Jones <laughs> here, but you know, I'd probably recommend going out and cherry picking your own <laughs> objective criteria so it's not really objective it's subjective in a sense subjectively but objective. it seems objective <laughs> but that's it. if you can say this starting negotiation okay i want to negotiate a pay rise can we agree that i should be paid market value i should be paid what everybody else is paid like that's an objective criteria that's a standard side the uh, the process side is like say kids dividing up a piece of cake one cuts the other one chooses because I was the uh, I was the older brother. Whenever I was cutting cake, I'd normally sort of cut myself sixty five percent. Give mm. give my brother nice thirty five percent because I cut and chose. But if one cuts and one chooses, you're going to get pretty bloody close to fifty fifty. Another type of fair process is you should agree before you decide roles. You should agree on the arrangement first. So the example they use, which I think is great, is like say who gets the kids in the divorce. Before you say who gets the kids, you should say okay. Let's say one parent. The kids live with the parent during the week and the other parent gets to see them on the weekends. So if you can both agree on that, you're going to come to a a most mutually agreeable arrangement first and then you say, okay, who gets during the week, who gets the weekend? The other way would be, okay, the kids live with mum and dad gets to see them on the weekend and then the mum says, no, you can see them every once a month and the dad says, no, I want to see them every two weeks. So because you've done roles first before arrangement, it's it tends into this positional thing but if you don't assign roles first you go for the mutually agreeable arrangement first it's going to be much more equitable at Mm. the end really like it so that's fair standard and fair process and maybe cherry pick what's up (laughs) what's best for you (laughs) that's the adam jones special adam jones special is the cherry picker special so and there's three basic points to remember when we do all this so first, we need to frame each issue as a joint search for objective criteria. Yeah, that's like the high ground maneuver. Let's find the objective criteria before we discuss the specifics. And you're both on the exact same search and you're both on the same side of things here. It's a good move. It good is. Maneuver. Number two, reason and be open to reason and as to which standards are most appropriate and how they should be applied. Yeah. He talks about how you could say, okay, let's use a bit of a chance here. Let's flip a coin. Even though the outcome might not be um, equal, the both people had an equal opportunity to get it. Number three is never yield to pressure, only to principle. Mm, I think that's a very, very, very important one there. So the other person might be putting pressure on you and it's almost like um, you know entangling the people's ego mm. into the problem again. You need to take a step back, be objective again and uh, you know say what's the objective criteria we're going for. Yeah, rather than just the positional bargaining, the old, st- the old style, it really is who is the stronger one and that's when you're going to yield to pressure. But if you can agree on this, these principles and this objective criteria, you're only going to admit, okay, that's, I agree that that is a better way to do it rather than saying you're right, I'm wrong. So they're the four steps, man. That's, it's for uh, pr- principle negotiation. First of all, separate the people from the positions. Second, focus on interests, not positions. Third, invent options for mutual gain. And fourth, insist on using objective criteria. Man, I think it's a 
a phenomenal way to approach any negotiation. It's a bit of a framework as to what you should do and how you should do it. And the the next part of the book, they talk about a few specific examples of how do you apply this. It's almost it's, it's been pretty theory based so far. This is sort of how you can apply it, and they give some some awesome ideas as to the application of these these negotiation tactics or principles. So he's got more advice here in terms of negotiation and, and at the end of the book. And whoever has higher leverage in a negotiation, he says, is going to get the better result. And, you know, so at the end of the book, he really explains how you can develop more leverage so the result can be swinged in your favor that little bit more. Yeah. One tactic he talks about is ask questions, then pause. He says that silence is one of your best weapons. I think it's, it is is true. Rather than make a statement, ask a question and then pause. Wait for their response. If they give a response that isn't satisfactory, if it's a half-assed reply, don't give them the easy out. Just give more silence. Mm. And that awkward silence is going to make them rethink their answer and think, oh, actually, maybe dot, dot, dot. And they're going to, they're going to fill in the gap for you by making a more reasonable response. Rather than you saying, no, that's a silly idea. Leave the silence, make them realize it was a silly idea and give something better. I thought that was a pretty cool tactic. It's, mate, it takes a lot of balls to just ask questions, then pause and leave an awkward silence. <laughs> but because if you're feeling awkward, they're going to be feeling awkward too. And if yeah. you can just leave a bit more silence, they'll probably fill the gap for you. Yeah, the weaker person is just going to just throw out, <laughs> just, just panic and then yeah. just throw out something that they want it just to um, that remove the awkwardness. The other thing here is develop your best alternative to negotiated agreement. Mm. In other words, let's take it back to this example of a pay rise. So, developing a batner in this case would be going out and developing an alternative to what the negotiation is. So, you might actually go out there and get a job offer. And if you bring another job offer, put that on the table, you have absolute leverage over the other person because you they know if you if they don't yield to what your negotiation uh, objectives are, then it's quite easy for you to just go out and leave them all alone in the abyss. Yeah. Whoever has more leverage or whoever has more power generally wins and it almost comes down to whoever needs it the least. So, if you've got an alternative... So, if you can't negotiate an agreement, you need an alternative. If you go in asking for a 10K pay rise, they say, no, you've got no no other job, you've got no power there. You either fight and lose your job altogether or you just cop it and say, okay, fine, I'll get nothing. But if you've got a, another job offer and you can say, if I don't win this negotiation my alternative is to, is to go somewhere somewhere else where i get a pay rise you got so much power there so that's the book getting to yes man it's a really really good book i think it's a short one not too much fat in it um and it's one of those books right it costs you 25 bucks eight hours but i guarantee if you use this and you understand it the rest of your life there will be situations where uh you negotiate your ne- new negotiation skills might get you an extra five grand on your pay rise it might get you a better deal on your car or your house or whatever. So there's a lot of value packed in this book. So with that in mind, I highly recommend this. Yeah, it could be a huge return on investment. It's only 150 pages. I actually think I probably preferred the the book. I reckon there's a, a lot of juice in here, like just smaller things that you can think of that, that we didn't cover here. I reckon it's a great book. But the most important thing for me was the interests rather than the position. So always thinking, whenever someone states their position, think what are the interests behind that? What are the reasons behind that? And maybe you can fulfill most of their interests without fulfilling their full position. And I really like the add-on to that is how can you uh, add a lot of value to their interests Mm. with things that are low cost to you? Yeah, grow that pie first before you cut it up. And the other one I really liked, just extending this, is the objective criteria part as well. 
Um, I think we just recap the whole walk. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. I really like that you've got to separate people from positions too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're normally good books, man, when you can really simplify it down into like one paragraph or uh, 30 seconds of words like we just did then. And there's there's some huge takeaways just under, underneath those. Definitely. And if you're ever buying a book uh, and you want to yeah, grab a book online, we use Book Depository. Uh, free shipping, almost always the cheapest place you can find it. And in every uh, episode show notes, and we've got a link to Book Depository where we get a, a little slice of the action. Uh, if you're buying a book anyway, we'd love it if you could click that link. 